Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And I'm very excited for today's show, not just because we have a video component for the first time, but because of our special guest, our second guest in the history of the show, someone who is a very old and friend and dear friend of mine, going back to our days together at ASU back in 2009, Mr. Anthony Rita, how are you doing today? Hello. Hello. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be very fun. Uh, And yes, long time. Known you a long, long time, an old oh, and dear almost friend. 12 indeed. years now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to it's date amazing. ourselves, but that very, very specifically dated ourselves. And it's it's <laughs> it's amazing that he still talks to me after all this time. This is great. Um truly, no, truly. <laughs> now, for anyone listening, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about the show as far as you know, my second guest being basically one of my best friends in the world. Mr. Rita has a very specific purpose and expertise that he brings to today's show. Um, The last two shows we've done are mostly Suns based. And I promised originally that this show was going to have a lot of entertainment segments, kind of been dropping the ball on that. So today's special episode is going to be mostly devoted to entertainment. And we're going to be talking about Pixar's Soul, which came out about a month ago. And that's going to take up the majority of our show. And the reason that I brought Rita on today is because dating back to our very first semester together at college, there are very few people on this earth that I feel more comfortable talking about stories when it comes to themes, when it comes to plot design, when it comes to symbolism behind it, basically everything that makes a story great. And we've been doing this in our spare time for years when it comes to our favorite TV shows and movies. We've also yes. been doing it in class. I don't know if you remember a little thing called the human event, Rita. <laughs> oh, I remember the human event. Oh, how could we forget? Um, oh. it, was, it was basically as part of Barrett the Honors College where we went to school at ASU. It was kind of like a philosophy course mixed with literature and English. And it was taught by... Yeah. A person that has since disgraced himself we don't want to talk about him that is very that is true yes yes i don't know about you but that course expanded my mind in a way that i don't think very many others have we read some really heavy and dense stuff but i've never stressed this is bad to say as a writer but i've never stressed over every single word that i've ever written in a paper to make sure that it all flowed and made sense together um but yes, so that is why I have Reed on today's show because yeah, Soul story is, expert. Yes, and Soul is unlike most Pixar movies. I feel like in that it's much more adult aimed, and we're and we're going to talk about that. But because this is a Sun show, we got to have a quick Suns tangent. So of course, Rita spent most of his young adult life growing up in Arizona. Yeah, Lisa. my my entire my entire childhood. Uh, very, I was not born in Arizona, but very much raised. In Arizona, that is that is where my that is my hometown. Right, basically. and and Rita Rita's most of a baseball guy, but also correct. But he's also someone who's been around for the Suns' highs and lows over the last 
decade plus, basically. <laughs> um, and I feel like this is an interesting question to ask you, Rita, because you've lived here for a large portion of your formative years. You went to college here. Um, you were roommates with someone who obviously covered the team extensively. <laughs> and yes. I, I feel like I've, we've never actually had this conversation. So this is going to be interesting. But the Suns have been bad for 10 years since the days of Steve Nash. <laughs> which, yeah. which, not to date ourselves again, 10 years ago was the last time, yeah. 11 years now was the last time they made the playoffs. And I feel like you have never been like a Suns fan. Like, I feel like we, we've gone to Suns games together, of course. Um, when the team is good, it's a lot easier to root for them. But can you tell me what, what's the reason that the Suns fandom never really kind of appealed to you as a sports fan? It's a great question. I think first and foremost, kind of what you alluded to, um, me being a baseball guy, played baseball all growing up, loved the Diamondbacks. The reason that we moved to Arizona was for my dad's job, which was mm -hmm. producing Diamondbacks TV games. Um, Mark. 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 <laughs> Uh, which I also hope gives a little more credibility to me being on here. I am a, uh, I am an Emmy award-winning sports television producer. So I know, I, I, I know, I, I know the I, sports. I, and I, I fucked up. I probably should have led with that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's let, I, I don't know. I, so I just want to like give, give myself credibility, credibility. Like I know what I'm talking about. Um, I think that one, just being a baseball and Diamondbacks fan, first and foremost, uh, my dad is a huge basketball fan and I think might be like slightly disappointed. He has like an encyclopedia, encyclopedic, encyclopedic memory yeah. when it comes to like uh, UCLA, like John Wooden, your basketball and mm -hmm. like Showtime, Magic Johnson, Lakers um, yep. <laughs> and loves basketball immensely and probably wishes that I loved it more. <laughs> um, but just from not uh, playing it super competitively and, and not being particularly invested. It's the same with uh, the Cardinals, um, Arizona Cardinals, mm -hmm. where one, growing up with my dad and seeing everything through the lens of sports television, I know a lot about all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think from even being a, a young kid, I remember going to a spring training Diamondbacks game, being pretty young, and my dad took me into the clubhouse and I was very shell-shocked and a little bit nervous. Mm -hmm. and it, you know, perhaps you can speak to this doing post-game pressers and things like that. He said, these guys are just guys. They're just people. And there's no reason to, you'll get a lot, you get along a lot better if you just treat them like regular people that happen to mm -hmm. be very good at this game that makes them a lot of money. <laughs> right. um, and so I think, I, I, would, I would say even my Diamondbacks fandom is mm -hmm. on the less extreme side of any fandom. Um, and I think a lot of it also comes from, for a long time, it being my job to know about it, yeah. uh, and not so much, it, it took a little bit of, of the pleasure away from it. It took a little bit of the joy of just watching sports, certainly on TV, live sports are still great. Um, yeah. but yeah, I feel like that's a roundabout way of saying that it was something that was fun to do. My dad mm was able to get us tickets. We would go to Suns games fairly often. Yeah. But I was never like, I want to be Steve Nash for Halloween. <laughs> like it wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't it. 
Yeah, no, and I, I feel like you touched on something that's because the way that I tweet and, and Suns fans are always confused by this because they think that because I cover the team, I'm a Suns fan. And I have a hard time explaining that like, okay, A, after going to the Cronkite school, I try to remain objective in covering the team, even though it's sports and there's a lot more room for opinion and, and fandom in that avenue of, of our job. I try to stay objective because I want to be able to cover the team rationally, especially when it comes to, you know, the fans that always complain about referees or like they're, they're hosing the sun, that kind of stuff. I'd, I'd yeah. like to stay away from that um, yes. and come off as more of a prof professional, but it's also like when you work in sports and when you cover a team regularly, it's hard to just like go to a game and be like one of those crazy cheering fans anymore. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to maintain that. And especially I feel like this is this is my follow-up question to you because in Arizona, you when you think of die-hard sports cities, you don't think of Phoenix, Arizona. Like you you think of correct. You think of Philadelphia, you think of Boston, New York, Pittsburgh, even LA in some respects, before you think of Arizona, because mm -hmm. there's kind of, there can be that fair weather component to it. And I feel like that's gotten better in recent years with like the Cardinals. Because I remember I went yeah. to a Steelers game like in college with my dad. He came to town. We went to a Cardinals game. The Steelers were in town. And I was like, oh, we're probably going to get harassed. Like, we're going to like, everybody's yeah. going to be talking shit to us the whole time. No, everybody was super nice. You were doing nice. the harassing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were you, the you, were the, you were the home team. <laughs> yeah. Steelers fans was, travel well. Yeah, they do. But I was like looking at the arena and it was like half Steelers fans. And it, it's gotten better in that respect. But for the Suns, it's hard because you feel like it would be on the uphill climb, but they've been so bad for so long that people have just kind of tuned them out, like wake me up when they're good again. Do you, yeah. now that they've got Chris Paul and they've got Devin Booker, they've got this young core, they're only two games above 500 as we're recording this on Sunday. But do you feel like that's something that might pique your interest a little more as far as this team? Or is it something where it's like, you know, wake me up when they get to the playoffs or when they do something in the playoffs before I'm kind of ready to hop back on the bandwagon. Yeah. I think for myself personally, the Suns are a very intriguing team and have been Devin Booker on his own makes the Suns an intriguing team. Uh, the, the guys, the guy's a star. Yeah. And I think there's definitely an element of fair weather fandom in Arizona. Um, Less so with the Suns because they are the longest standing franchise mm -hmm. there. Um, and I believe there was pretty solid attendance and, and more diehard fandom in kind of mm -hmm. the like Barkley, uh, Kevin Johnson, uh, oh, Marley, yeah. <laughs> like that, that span of time. Mm -hmm. um, and even the Nash Stoudemire, Nash Shaq, Sean Marion, oh, yeah uh jason richardson like yeah <laughs> people like the team um but it's the playoff game those games were rocking yeah when, when, yeah, when yeah the team's good it's rocking well the team's good and it's it's interesting i have a lot of personal experience with the diamondbacks and them being good and mm. chase field formerly bank one ballpark the bob selling <laughs> out and it's a big stadium um and if if you, if you win and you're successful, you're going to get butts in seats. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're not, 
there's not a ton of history. And I, I think a lot of that comes from Arizona being a place of a lot of transplants. Mm-hmm. You don't meet a lot of people who are born and raised in Arizona. And I think that is changing uh, mm-hmm. because when I was seven or eight and moved to Arizona, uh, you know, we're at the age now where if you stayed in Arizona, you went to ASU, uh, you stayed, you had kids. Now you're kind of raising families in Arizona. And I think, I think that's starting to, to happen a little more. Mm. Um, possibly. I don't, I don't know the demographics, <laughs> <laughs> but it seems that way. We have enough friends uh, that, that, are, that are staying in Arizona and making babies. Um, yeah. so, so we shall see. But yeah, it's, I, I don't know if, I don't know if there's anything winning or not winning that would make me pay more attention than I do to the Suns, yeah. <laughs> mostly because I don't pay that much attention to any team anymore because I paid attention <laughs> yeah. to all the teams all yeah. the time. Uh, and I'm slowly easing my way back. It's like becoming slowly more and more enjoyable for me to watch sporting events. Um, mm. I've watched like a couple playoff football games and like I'll throw on <laughs> some Blazers games sometimes. Uh, yeah. But I think, I mean, as far as the team being intriguing and interesting, they're already intriguing and interesting. Um, That's good. That's good to hear because I'm always curious about, you know, not an outsider perspective, obviously, because you grew up here. But now that you're out in Portland and since the NBA has never been like your, like your, like the NBA is my sport, MLB is definitely yours. Um, And so I, I was curious to hear like, Okay, for someone who doesn't really follow the team religiously, if they're more interesting now. So that's good. They're on the up and up. We'll see what they're able to do. If they're able to make the playoffs, they should and what they can do there. Yeah, CP3 uh, is exciting. And also, you know, if you need need more insight, listen to Mr. Gerald Bourget. There's a lot of good (laughs) stuff. So that that has been my source of Suns information. it's all that's that's really nice. This man comes on my show and plugs me. That's very that's nice of him. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. You never you, in the Build most unexpected places. Yeah, exactly. Gas your friends up. <laughs> Said this gas to David Nash, our guest on the last show. We got to gas our friends up, and especially yes. now. But uh, let's go ahead and switch gears and let's dive into Soul because let's do it. I wanted to bring you on specifically for this because when I watched it, I think it was it was either on Christmas or the day after. Um, watched it with my family. They all loved it. I liked it. I wasn't crazy about it. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, I mean, for anyone listening, I'm a big Disney Pixar guy. They just crank out classics on the regular. Um, if you've been living under a rock, I don't know yeah. about Disney <laughs> if you, Pixar. If you didn't know, Disney Pixar does some pretty good work. Um, Hit you in the fields. Yeah. But this was a different type of Pixar movie for me because I felt like it was more adult aimed and just the kind of themes of existentialism like it was pixar's most existential movie for sure like what are we here for why are we here what does all of this mean what is the point of living that type of stuff it it tackles some pretty heavy cosmic questions um and i feel like because i go into pixar movie expecting it to be aimed at a younger audience and kind of recapture that magic of youth the way that disney can do that I was caught off guard by a more uh, thematically mature kind of movie. Um, but you watched it because we had been texting about this. We've been planning the show for a while now. Yeah, um, yeah. But you watched it and you loved it. And then in talking with you, I felt like 
you were bringing up good points. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's true. And then I went back and rewatched it and I liked it a lot more on the second viewing. So what, what for you about this movie? And we should, we should know it's perfectly timed with the pandemic and with quarantine life, because right now all of us want to go out. And once this is all over and it's safe to live our normal lives again, like we've all got our lists of things that we want to do. So this movie hits right in those fields. Um, but what, what was it about this movie that kind of stood out to you and won you over on the first viewing? Excellent question. For myself, personally, I was able to resonate a lot with the overall theme, uh, the overall idea of trying to find either your spark or your purpose or what it is that makes life exciting or, or purposeful or fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've had quite a wild ride as far as so much of, I think certainly in the United States, your identity is tied a lot to what it is you do for a, for a job. Um, it's kind of like, what's your name? What do you do? And so it's like the next, it's like the yep. first question you ask. Um, and without getting too far into all the story, I, I moved to Portland. I live in Portland now um, as something that I just wanted to do. And I had no job and I just kind of wanted to figure it out. Um, so I was able to get a job with the Timbers and the Thorns, which was very exciting. Also got a job uh, starting just scooping ice cream at mm-hmm. uh, Salt and Straw. Yeah. Not to, no, we're not going to plug them. Um, <laughs> yeah, scooping ice cream. And then it eventually turned in, it went from like side hustle into now I'm a, a GM of a store very quickly. Um, and then pandemic hits and get laid off. I'm sitting on unemployment. And I'm like, is this really what I want to be doing? Like, is this, is this what is exciting and, and purposeful? Is this, I, I mean, I would tell, I would, I would talk to, I would talk to you and I would talk to other friends be like, yeah, I work in an ice cream store. And they'd be like, you do a what? Like, what do you, what, again, like you used to work in sports TV. Why are you, what, like, where did this come from? Um, and they're definitely feeling a, a sense of kind of like winging it and then seeing where mm-hmm. it happened. And then there was a chance to kind of take a step back and, and breathe. Um, so pandemic hits, unemployment, get offered, uh, the job back. I'm kind of like, okay, I'll take it. But there was, <laughs> there was a sense. And then uh, lost that job a month ago. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like in the, in the idea of what do I do? What is, what should I do with my life? What should I do with the, the skills that I have? Uh, how do I want to use those to fulfill myself and make the world better? And so then, then I, then I watched that movie and I was like, wow, okay, this is all the things, this is all of the, all of the stuff. And I, I don't know if, you know, maybe moving to Portland, there's, we're, we're like, we're Portland. So I've been reading a lot of books that I was just like, be present, be in the now, um, befriend the present moment. The purpose of life is to live like you li- like life lives you, you don't live life. It's, it's all, it's pretty Zen. It's pretty Zen right. up here. Um, so I, I made you watch this movie like, in the perfect storm of conditions for like oh yeah themes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it hit all of the feels all of it there was very much the like i related with joe <clears throat> being like i need to do this one thing and if i can mm. do this one thing everything will be great and i just had this thought of like i made a list once and i was like i have to do this 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 and this and i like, checked all those boxes and i got there and i was like oh that's 
I'm not fulfilled yet. Why oh, I'm not fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've also had this feeling of, of 22 where it's like, I'm going to do all this stuff. <laughs> meh. 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 Uh, I, I, so I let, let's talk about that kind of the theme switch of the movie, because for most of the movie, you're operating under the premise that, so these characters, they go to get their personalities formed in the great before. And the last thing that they need to get basically their earth pass for those who haven't seen it is they need to find their spark. It's basically something that they're very passionate about, whether it's cooking or archery or in Joe Gardner's case, the main character, music, jazz. Um, and for most of the movie, you're operating under the premise that your spark is like your purpose, because that's kind of how Joe Gardner operates is his one dream is to get a gig, a, a great gig with Dorothea Williams, and he gets it. And I love that you point this out, because when he's going to the audition, he runs over the manhole. And then later he winds up, you know, there's all this foreshadowing and he winds up falling in the manhole. And that's how he dies, because he's so he's he's got the gig he's wrapped up he's on the phone and there's a special sort of symbolism in the fact that he was so wrapped up in his career and what he thought his purpose was that he literally missed out on life he died (laughs) and that's that's how a lot of people live their lives is we put so much stock in our careers in what we think our purpose is and we tie those two together and we miss out on the journey and living life in general so that those themes, especially on the second watch after you pointed some of that kind of stuff out, was really striking to me. But for most of the movie, we operate under that premise. And then later in the film, the Jerry basically corrects him and is like, your, your spark isn't your purpose. Like <laughs> purpose, yeah. such a simple way to like look at life. Um, and I really liked that message because I felt like it was straying into territory where like, okay, what if you don't, what if there's, you're in this stage of life where you don't really have a direction or you don't know what your spark is. Um, and I don't know that that stood out for you. So what, what were your thoughts when that just kind of switch flipped in the movie? Yeah. The, the thought was a, a sense of affirmation a sense of, it feels a lot like Joe's character is pursuing this goal, pursuing this goal, pursuing this goal. I actually wrote down that both 22 and Joe are operating under this premise. Life doesn't start until you find or achieve your one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious if you think that that is an accurate. No, I uh, I do. That's pretty much for for both of the characters, but they, and they both discover that that is not the case in, in different ways and it's it's kind of the idea of i I just wrote something about like living your life like a movie and the the idea that like no one yelled cut march 2020 like things are still going on life is still happening um and really trying to embrace what what life is like the small things the little things um and I think kind of alluding back to hitting me in all the feels, some of my move up here was kind of on the extreme end of like, we're just going to see what happens. We're just going to move. Like we're scooping ice cream. We're scooping ice cream. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really able, being able to find a lot of joy and lessons and 
really meaningful relationships, really important lessons for both my life and a leadership and management style. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are all things that you kind of don't, you don't realize until you look back and and are able to add some of the context and add some of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting when Joe is with 22 and they're going through his life and he's just like on the couch a lot. And she's like, you didn't do anything. Like, what is your (laughs) life? And I think that is kind of, that's the one end of the spectrum of being so focused on uh, achieving that goal that you miss out on the journey to that goal. Mm. Whereas for 22, it almost felt like her journey was every goal and just didn't want to do it. And then putting so much emphasis on, I need to find my one thing. Right. And then getting, I don't, is there a joke of like, maybe like walking is my thing or like, I love to yeah. walk and like, <laughs> right. Or like, and he goes, he, he, yeah, he literally tells her those aren't purposes 22. That's just regular old living. And that was kind of the crux for me where I was like, okay, I'm sensing a tonal shift coming on here. Yes. And that's the way that 22 in Joe's body is able to find way more fulfillment in his normal interactions because they go to his barber, they go to his mother um, with his student, Connie, and she's just getting so much out of these experiences, obviously because she's never lived before, but you know, she's lying down on a, on a grate that's pushing air up and loving every second of it. And that, that whole idea of, you know, we should make living and loving life just itself our purpose, not, you know, make career goals or those other types of things that we think will give us fulfillment forever all of that kind of stuff is, is fleeting. Um, so that's why that message kind of struck home when Jerry's like your purposes, your meanings of life. So basic, like yeah. it's, it's very cosmic and very existential. So it's, it's one of those things that even no matter what age you are watching it, it kind of sticks out to you. Um, oh, and yeah. cause he, you know, he gets the gig, he plays the gig, he nails the gig at the very end of the movie. and he basically comes away with this takeaway like I've been waiting for this day my entire life I thought I'd feel different and Dorothea Williams basically tells him that kind of joke but it's not funny like (laughs) that was my favorite part of the whole that quote the fish in the water part part. yeah yeah like I want the ocean this is water I want the ocean oh brilliant was like the whole yeah that was like the premise of the whole of the whole movie Right. And it's, we, we mistake the water for the ocean and vice versa sometimes. And it's, it's, uh, it, it, when I watched it the first time, I felt like it, it definitely packed a wallop both times emotionally. Um, but I don't think I appreciated it as much until the second viewing, just because it was, it's not Pixar's funniest movie. Um, I don't think like from a rewatching standpoint, like I would rewatch a lot of other Pixar movies before I would rewatch this one. Cause I feel like you have to be in that frame of mind to watch this one. Um, yeah. And I'm curious your thoughts on this, but like, I, you know, for me, I would like, I would rewatch Coco. I would rewatch up before I would rewatch this, but I did get so much more rewatching this the second time than I did the first time. But before we dive deeper into our next topic, let's take a quick commercial break and be right back after this. Let's, on a related note, because we disagree on this as far as the character 22. 
So yeah. you love 22. I, I yeah. Yeah. I I'd, I'd, I'd liked, okay. So I appreciated 22's character arc a little bit more on the second viewing because you pointed out some really good things to me when we were texting about this, but I don't know how likable 22 was. And that's where I like, you know, me, like I'm always on top of which actor is playing what character. Mm-hmm. I watched that movie. I didn't know that was Tina Fey until I looked it up afterwards. Yeah. I was like, why did a Tina Fey character not stand out more to me? I feel like I felt ashamed that I didn't pick it out, first of all. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Why didn't I, why didn't 22 stand out more for me? So we're both on the same page. The historical illusions that her character brings into it are fantastic. Yes. Like, the Josh Jackson <laughs> one. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. That uh, kind of stuff is great. Carl Jung. Oh my God. That stuff was <laughs> hilarious. But what, what was it for you that you liked about 22 and her character arc? I liked that 22 seemed to be a, an excellent foil to Joe, where Joe, his entire focus was on finding the one thing. And for 22, everyone else's focus was on her finding the one thing. And she was like, I don't like, tried it, don't care. Don't want, don't want life, earth seems... <laughs> terrible i don't like mm. not interested um and so i love that the way that it played together mm. i also loved that you you learn that it was all pretty much bravado it was all it was all a facade mm. um because at the end you know she's had voice after voice after voice after voice telling her you're not gonna find your spark you're no good you're not gonna ever do this mm. and it just spoke a lot to to me of kind of putting up a bunch of walls. Um, and I think there's pretty clear imagery almost of Joe going in and talking to her mm-hmm. and like the whole shadow falling down. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was, I thought that was very powerful. Um, I think as, as far as likability, I think the character was very snarky and sassy and sarcastic. And I just <laughs> yeah. really loved that a lot. Um, and it's, it's almost a quality that I don't have. I'm very like, overly eager and genuine about a lot of stuff <laughs> and just to have her just be like nope this sucks like i don't like nope don't like it like i try to like almost everything uh to mm. a fault and she's like nope uh, i'm not into that um which i was like i respect that respect that at you 22 um yeah. but yeah I, I think i i enjoyed enjoyed the humor i enjoyed the innocence that she brings to all of those basic just parts of living Mm. um yeah so I, I yeah why did you I, not I think, like her i i don't i don't i didn't like her just because i don't know maybe it's tied in with me that this wasn't like normally in a pixar movie i'm expecting a little more humor i guess i, I think part of yeah. this like i said is that i went into it with certain expectations of what a pixar movie normally is and this was very different and so I think, especially when you find out a character is voiced by Tina Fey, you expect them to be funnier, I guess, and more likable. Yeah. But obviously, that wasn't the point of the character. Um, clown, clownfish like a clown? Yeah. <laughs> like Finding Nemo reference. Love it. Yeah, um, there it is. But, you know, I, I think her funniest parts were the illusions like, you know, Mother Teresa and Muhammad Ali and Abraham Lincoln and all that great stuff. Um, she did have that great line, you know, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on earth is for. <laughs> yes. Um, that was a good line. But that was good. 
I, yeah, I, I think I think you helped me appreciate her arc a little bit more and the movie in general because 22's arc is kind of it goes hand in hand with Joe's growth and his development into realizing that that you know what he's been chasing is not his purpose on this earth. Um, the one criticism that I did read about that I didn't even snap to, and obviously we're probably not the right people to even you know, notice this or have this conversation, but there was a lot of criticism or there was some criticism that this is one of Pixar's first, if not the first movie with a black lead. And he spent most of the movie, his body being impersonated or housing a white woman. Mm. So there was, there was some, there was some complaining about the fact that like, you know, like this was supposed to be, he spends most of this movie, Jamie Foxx is kind of an amorphous blob. <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. That's not and, in, and, and in his own cat. body. Yeah. And then turns into a cat. So, yeah. and, and I, I didn't even snap to that kind of thing until I read it. It makes sense. It's not something that I would kind of think about on first watch really, but you know, yeah. again, I'm a, I'm a white dude. So maybe that's part of it, but yeah. Um, so I, I found that interesting and I wasn't crazy about the whole story kind of hinging on this body swap moment just in general, um, just because I feel like that's been done before. But those were, those were those, those were probably my biggest, those were kind of my biggest criticisms, but I did appreciate the way that they, their arcs interlocked and they were, they built on each other in kind of a beautiful way at the end where, you know, they're falling to earth and he's, staying with her as long as he can. And then 22 gets to go and live. And then Joe gets his second chance. Oh, the other minor criticism I had, and this is just a minor thing, but I feel like it's, I, I had a question about this. Like why are more people not resistant to the idea of heading to the great beyond? Because Joe's the only one that like sees it and fears it and like runs away. And I yeah. don't know if that's because he was technically in a coma. So maybe he had more say over whether he was going to live or die. But I feel like more people when they die are not just going to be like chilling on this escalator into this great beyond mosquito light zapper thing. That like yeah, that's a into. that's a fair criticism. Like it's like that's never happened before. I re yeah, has like, it really never happened before. There was I don't know. There was a sense of the Jerry's not having a huge amount of surprise. Yeah, by seeing <laughs> by seeing Joe. But that right. is a really. Yeah, I feel like more people would like, be like, "Get me off this fucking thing!" Like, I got, <laughs> I'm other, not ready. I have other things to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good. That's that's a but again. Yeah, very suspend very your minor. Disbelief. Suspend yeah, your disbelief. exactly. It's it's a minor critique. Um, before we wrap up and get to our ratings for the show, because this is the G-rated segment, is basically I we talk about it and then we give it our rating out of ten. Um, okay. But you had a, a theory about the Jerry and Terry's. Um, that I thought was pretty interesting as far as where they are on the spectrum. Um, and and tell, tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. I had the theory that the Jerry's and Terry represented parenting techniques in a sense where the mm -hmm. Jerry's were very kind of free thinking, laissez-faire, do what you want. And there's even kind of like a quip of like, oh, we're just going to throw these eight into like uh, self-absorption. And yeah. I was like, we should stop doing that. <laughs> um, and kind of almost this, this sense of totally hands off as far as shaping the personality of 
a new life. Um, whereas Terry is on the full other end of the spectrum. Everything is organized. Everything has to be like by the book. Everything is, is hyper-managed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like both of those are bad. And I feel like Terry was made into a villain. Uh, but I do feel as though there's a lot of harm that could be done to the Jerry's or in the Jerry's sense of, of life raising. Um, mm-hmm. Also, as a as an aside, I am not a parent, so I don't I don't know <laughs> what that is like. Um, but I think there's there's a balance that should belong there. And I I I've, I found myself being like, oh, the Jerry's were funny, like that was fun. But there were a few moments where I thought back and thought, wait, some of that was harmful and seemed like it could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that that is my that is my Jerry's Terry short theory on uh on on parenting yeah and i I feel like that's pretty apt i i also feel like so this was a really gorgeous i mean pixar is known for this but it was a very gorgeously animated movie Mm. um the way that it kind of brought new york to life and you lived in new york so yeah very like i I, I remember i was like the subway it sounds exactly like that that's exactly what the subway sounds like they really nailed it um pizza rat as well yes the pizza oh god pizza rat um but i feel like the best animation and and the soundtrack we should mention is really good it's very like ethereal and different and it's very well done but i feel like those both the animation and the soundtrack really shine in those moments where it has like terry moving through the world as like this zigzagging line and like they're when they trap joe and 22 to like take the souls back out of the bodies and they're like falling through this really bizarre animated type stuff I feel like those really shined and and the Jerry and Terry thing is very, uh, it's an interesting thing that I didn't really pick up on the first time I watched it. And then I watched the second time. I was like, yep, Reed is onto something here. Um, Yeah. Give it another watch, everybody out there. Yes. The Rita theory on Jerry. Let's get to the score. Now, originally I had given this, I'm a, I've I've had people tell me because I post reviews for movies on my Instagram story all the time. And I've had people tell me like, this should have been higher. Like you should have given, I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person that if I really like something in my mind, it's like a 10 out of 10, but I have to be better about that <laughs> because like, it'd be boring if I just gave everything I reviewed on the show a 10 out of 10. Totally so fair. I feel like seven for me is the benchmark of good. Eight is great. Nine is amazing. And then 10 is like master. That's like breaking bad. That's masterpiece territory. So, yeah, okay. Um, so for me on the first watch, I gave it a 7.5 out of 10 on the rewatch. I'm going to bump it up to an eight. What about you? I was also going to go with an eight. Um, but I would, I will add the caveat of your point of like rewatchability as a first watch. And I think even to me going into it, I did not, I was told by three people, uh, and yourself, I mean, like, going to hit you in the feels it's not like a normal (laughs) like you're not going to laugh as you're going to cry is what's going to happen um and so knowing that i was like okay this is this is really good so yeah eight (laughs) eight out of ten rewatchability probably closer to a to a five or a six um for for yourself if you want to watch it with somebody for the first time and and see them cry then then (laughs) what better way to spend quarantine than making the people that we can spend time with cry But uh, I got dark, unintentionally dark. Yeah, that's rough. Um, My bad. Let's let's move on to a happier topic because yeah, and this is this is my surprise for you. You've seen it before, and this is a special treat for those of you who are listening on the podcast. 
you won't be able to see this, but if you head over to the Valley of the Suns YouTube channel that I'm literally about to create, <laughs> there's going to be one video. It's going to have this entire show, but at this point in the show, for those of you who don't know, I mean, obviously, you know, now that Reed and I were college roommates that we're very good friends, but we also had a stint working for the Suns and <laughs> Reed is already cringing. Um, we worked for the Fry's Food Corner in, well, I guess now it's not even Talking Stick Resort Arena anymore, but we worked at the Suns Arena, basically trying to sign people up for Fry's grocery store yeah. cards, which you can get yeah. at a Fry's. <laughs> but we had free hats, so people yes. loved it. Remember when we had, we had free hats one season and we had books? Yes. And the number of people that signed up just nosed up. Oh my God. And that was, that was the best part is this job, this was a college job. It was like by the hour, we would work three or four hours on game nights during games. And there was zero accountability. Like we did not have a quota that we had to meet as far as people signing up. We didn't have even a supervisor who was in the vicinity for most of the night. Um, Megan, if you are listening to this, I'm so sorry, but like we did not take that job seriously at all. <laughs> not too much, but also thank you so much for giving us that job. Yes. Definitely paid us more money than we deserved. Oh, way and it more. was so fun. It was. <laughs> we, oh, I had a blast. Those were pretty we, good years for teams outside of the Suns as well. Like that yes. was like Durant, Harden, yes. Russ, Thunder. The, and like, that the was like, rough part was that we were outside the arena in the you know walkway area, mm -hmm. and we had these screens that were supposed to be in our vicinity where we could watch the game. Except like three weeks into the first season, the screens broke because of course they did. <laughs> so. The background of this is that we had to find ways to entertain ourselves because we weren't going out of our way to do this job that we didn't have quotas for anyway. Like if someone came up to us, we'd sign them up. And then after games, we would give them their free bottle of shampoo for some reason, because that was a thing that we did. about the shampoo. <laughs> yep, we had to give them shampoo oh, for some reason. God. You remember spelling out penis upside down with all the shampoo <laughs> bottles? And people and coming nobody... up and grab it and like one out of... One out of every seven or eight would be like, what is that? Is that? We're like, you should, the exit is this way actually now. The exit, you need to go because more people need their shampoo. Yeah, that was, oh my God, that was bad. Um, but we wouldn't go out of our way to ask people if they wanted to sign up. So we would have to find ways to entertain ourselves. And we wound up bringing our laptops and our phones and other things to keep us occupied. And I can't remember if this was your idea or my idea, but we would, we, we originally started bringing, I had this clunky ice station with like a dock where I could put my iPod classic in. And even at the time it was outdated to still have an iPod classic. I still have mine. <laughs> you're, you're an OG. You're a, you're a true believer. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm old school, but I would put this iPod classic. We would play music on it and we would basically do our homework during these games a lot of the time. And it was either your idea or mine that we were going to film our own music video. <laughs> so this is a treat for you, Valley of the Suns viewers who are going to watch this video. But we brought one time, we brought Guitar Hero guitars and like drumsticks. <laughs> and we filmed ourselves basically lip syncing to songs. Rita did uh, Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World. Still a great song. Our old friend Pierce, who is unfortunately no longer with us, shout out to the homie Pierce. He did uh, Back in Black. Yes. He did Black, Back in Black. It was great. We also had Luke Walker in on that. I don't know if you remember. He was there for like two seconds. Oh, I remember. Yeah. And then thought it was late and like bounced. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I did uh, I Will Not Bow by Breaking Benjamin, which is a harder rock song that's more my area. Um, and I feel like we should give the viewers a treat, a look back on Babyface Gerald and Babyface Rita Cakes. Now, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, obviously you can't see the video, but make sure you go to the Valley of the Suns YouTube channel that I'm creating where this whole show is going to be uploaded with video. We've got a good minute of Babyface Gerald and Babyface Rita not caring about their son's jobs. A little bit of bonus unearthed embarrassing footage for you to enjoy. But uh, that's probably going to do it for today's show. Anthony, thank you so much for being on. Um, had a great time talking about Soul with you. Tell the people where they can read your work because just as a preface, uh, Rita started a blog recently that was actually kind of the reason why I wanted to talk to him about Soul. He wrote a really good piece about the Princess Bride and I'm someone that's been watching that movie for years. So the way that he broke down all the themes and symbols behind it, there were things that I didn't even realize watching it growing up. So Rita, tell the people about Rita's Digest. Yeah, absolutely. Also, thank you so much. That was very, very kind. Um, Rita's Digest.wordpress.com. Uh, R-E-D-A-S Digest.wordpress.com. Also on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, yeah. The same, <laughs> the same monic Rita's Digest same moniker. Um, yeah. And so every Friday put something out, the, the, the ideas, uh, aim for authenticity, trying to talk about things that feel real and maybe a little messy with the occasional deep dive into the princess bride or something yes. else. Uh, I also record myself reading all of them. So if you are listening to podcasts and you say, I don't like to read, I have something for you too. You can just hit play and hear my voice. Uh, should you so desire. Yeah, that is, uh, that's, that's my plug. Very nice. Those dulcet tones, ladies and gentlemen. That's um, the sultry sound of my voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, thank you so much again for coming on. Appreciate having thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, we'll definitely have to do this again. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you so much for watching or for listening. If you haven't, make sure to subscribe, tell your friends, and write me a review with two or three TV shows that you've been watching and who knows, they might show up on the show in the future. But uh, thanks again, everyone for tuning in for today's episode. This is Gerald Borgay signing off.